Section 1 of Miss Priscilla Hunter and My Daughter Susan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Miss Priscilla Hunter and My Daughter Susan by Pansy. Miss Priscilla Hunter, Chapter 1. She Discusses the Situation. She belonged to our church. That is really the first sentence to use by way of introduction, for if there was any one thing for which she was enlisted, heart and soul and body, it was our church. How did she look? Dear me, she never stopped to consider, and I am not sure that any one else ever did, but a great many people knew how she acted, which is certainly much more to the point. The time of which I am about to tell you was one of special interest to our church, in fact, affairs reached a crisis, and to come to the point at once, I may as well tell you that we were in debt. Not largely, the sum was not above five thousand dollars, all told. Neither was ours a struggling church, situated on the frontier, or set back in one of the byways of the world. On the contrary, it had its visible presence in a well-to-do eastern centre, and was the largest and most flourishing of the many denominations represented in our town. We had a fair proportion of the muddied members of society, several bankers, half a dozen merchants, more than that number of grocers, and a long list belonging to that large and well-to-do class of people known in aristocratic circles as the middle classes, whatever that term may mean. Nobody knew why we allowed that church debt to accumulate and swallow its hundreds in interest year by year. Can anybody tell why ninety-nine churches out of a hundred allow themselves to do that same thing? There were those in our congregation who shrewdly suspected that it was for convenience. It certainly was the most common thing in the world for certain parties, when appealed to for contributions in aid of any object under the sun, whether foreign or home missions, church erection, church extension, ministerial relief, or food and clothing for the grasshopper regions of the West, to fall back solemnly and hopelessly into the arms of that church debt, and declare that people should be just before they are generous, and that honesty should come before benevolence, and all those solemn and truthful and interesting sentences which people are apt to quote when they don't want to give you any money. What is to be done with people, who, in the face of the most earnest appeal that can be made for some object dear to the Christian heart, stoically declare to you that the debt ought to be paid? That it is high time the church set itself to work, and sacrificed and strained every nerve towards the accomplishment of that end. This is all true. They mean it, and you agree with them. The question is, why don't you and they set to work and do it, instead of hugging the thing to talk about? Who stands ready to answer? I frankly confess to you that the debt on our church became our torment, our thorn in the flesh. It was everywhere present, popping up its hydra head on every conceivable occasion. We needed new hymn books, but there was that debt, how could a church hope to prosper that bought new hymn books instead of paying its debts? We needed new library books, our Sabbath school was running behind on this very account, 
but think of the enormity of the sin of trying to raise money for library books when that five thousand dollar debt was hanging its millstone about our necks we wanted to recarpet our church and refurnish our pulpit and the seats needed upholstering and the parsonage kitchen needed a new sink and drain and pump and the parsonage grounds needed a new fence the old one had been a source of humiliation to us for years. But who had the courage to talk about perpetrating such deeds of darkness as the getting and doing of all these things when that debt remained unpaid? By this time I hope you perceive that our church debt was an intolerable nuisance, and yet we clung to it. Well, all this is a digression. I was going to tell you about Miss Priscilla Hunter how on a certain sunny morning not many years ago the wife of one of our deacons went with the wife of one of our doctors to call on her their object being to see about some pants for the five-year-old deacon and the six-year-old doctor miss priscilla you must understand was a tailoress i like your work better than the tailor's said the doctor's wife I can never get a tailor to make things look cunning and childish. They always turn out work that is fit only for great, rough boys. Of course, you do not need to be told that her boy was not a great, rough one, but on the contrary was the most superior boy that ever lived. Be it known also in passing that Miss Priscilla's work was worthy of being liked by anybody, not a garment ever went from her careful hand until it was as neat and precise in all its details as skill and deftness could make it from pants the talk drifted to church matters whither miss priscilla's talk was sooner or later as sure to turn as the needle turns to the pole they discussed the condition of the carpets and the holes that were showing in the cushions and the need there was of putting in a furnace before another winter and they told how the children said that they had read every old book in that library a dozen times at the very least then their sympathies reached the parsonage and they told each other how dreadful that rickety fence did look and how ashamed they were of it the last time governor parker was in town and called there and the doctor's wife told how the doctor had said again and again that it was actually a tempting of providence for the parsonage grounds not to have better drainage and the talk all ended as it always did with the woe-begone murmur oh if we were only out of debt we might set about some of these things right away but as it is and then there followed an indescribable thrice echoed long drawn out sigh i suppose if that sentence had been dolefully whined out once it had been five hundred times by the different members of our church during the years in which we had been victims to that debt after this there was a silence for several minutes miss priscilla sewed very hard snipping off her thread from time to time with an energetic whisk of her great shining shears pursing up her thin mouth in a way that told of a great many things which she would like to say and of some which she would say before she was much older. Presently she burst forth. Now look here, Miss Baker, I'm tired of that kind of talk. My ears have ached for years with hearing so much of it, and I've just made up my mind it was time that debt was paid. It has hung over us, and whined and groaned and howled at us long enough. 
there never was anything in our church that Satan liked so well as that abominable debt, and it's my opinion that he has been tickled with it as long as is good for him. Not a thing do we try to do from sending Bibles to the heathen to mending our rickety parsonage fence, but he swoops down on us and gets off a lot of what passes for pious groaning about that debt. It's all Satan from beginning to end, and it is time it was stopped. Now what I say is, let's pay that debt without any more fuss about it. For pity's sake! And, why, dear me! murmured the deacon's wife and the doctor's wife in a breath, according to their several natures. And Mrs. Dr. Baker added, I wish with all my heart it might be paid, I am sure. I'd be willing to sacrifice a great deal, though mercy knows I don't know what to sacrifice more than I'm doing. But I don't see any prospect of its ever being paid. For my part, I am clear discouraged." well now that's no kind of a way to talk you've no right to be discouraged it's the lord's church i reckon almost as much as it's ours and he don't want to see it disgraced with a debt any more than we do to say the least my proposition is to just put our shoulders to the wheel and lift it and say no more about it priscilla hunter almost screamed mrs deacon jones how is it going to be done now that is what i'd like to know why we've strained every nerve and lifted and lifted and all we've been able to do is just to pay the interest and sometimes you know as well as i do that we have had to borrow money to do that if our rich men would just take hold of it and give as they ought to give it could all be wiped out in a day but i have lost all hope in that direction this from mrs dr baker then priscilla oh now miss baker don't you go to making yourself believe that's pious talk that's just satan hanging round and nothing else not but what he hangs around the rich men and winds out his say and i've no kind of doubt he says to them if the sewing girls and tailoresses and hod carriers and cobblers would all just come up to the help of the lord against this debt no doubt we could lift it I'll tell you it's one of his dodges to hang around people and whine out, if somebody else and his wife and children would only do their duty, we could swim through. Now, I ain't one to say that the rich men couldn't pay the debt in our church if they were a mind to, for I believe they could, and what is more, I know they could. But they don't do it, and as far as I can see, they don't mean to. And Satan, he don't mean they shall, and he wants to keep me busy all the time, groaning over their failings. Now, for my part, I'm tired of his company. I've shook him off. He won't groan to me on that subject again in a hurry. I say we give him the cold shoulder and just make an end of this thing. How fast Miss Priscilla could sew! Her fingers fairly flew over the seam, and her keen gray eyes flashed along the stitches like soldiers' bayonets. The two callers looked at her in dumb amazement, the doctor's wife even wondering whether much stitching might not have made her mad. As for Mrs. Deacon Jones, she looked thoughtful. "'Land alive!' she said. "'How are we to do it? We've had suppers and festivals and pound parties and all those things till people are sick of their very names.' "'Oh, suppers!' 
said Miss Priscilla, with a sniff of her long, keen nose. Don't, for pity's sake, let me hear anything about them. They're nice enough in their way, for stomachs and sociability and all that. I haven't got a word to say against em. But for paying a debt, humph! You set to work and bake a lot of cake and use up butter and eggs and sugar and cream enough to make a dollar's worth at the very least, and then you carry it down to the church, and your husband comes and eats a piece of it, and a piece of turkey that somebody else has brought, and that costs two dollars, and a piece of chicken and a slice of bread, and another slice of another kind of cake that somebody else has brought, and a piece of everything under the sun, and his stomach feels better after it all, maybe, only I doubt it. But as for the money part, why, he pays fifty cents for his supper, and it goes into the treasury, and after the broken dishes are paid for, and the things you had to buy to piece out with are paid for, and a dozen and one things that nobody ever thought of are paid for, why, what's left of it goes towards paying the debt. That's social now, I dare say, but it isn't economical, and I don't expect to get out of debt by a hundred years of such management as that. There's only one way that's worse, and I'm thankful to remember that our church has never sunk so low as to try it. They have been doing it up in Circleville, where I was sewing for a month. They had a debt of three hundred dollars, or at least they were behind that much. And how do they pay it? You'd never guess in the world. They got together and talked it up, and planned about what hard times it was, and how they ought to get out of debt now, or else they would surely be going deeper and deeper all the time and finally they agreed to make a great sacrifice and pay that debt. So they sent a committee to the minister. Now, these are hard times, you know, says the committee, looking wise, and it becomes those in Zion to be willing to sacrifice and suffer, if need be, for the cause. We have made up our minds that this debt ought to be paid, and we have come to you, the watchmen upon the walls, as a proper person to set the example." and then they proceed to show him how. You see, there is a debt of about three hundred dollars, and your salary is fifteen hundred. Now these are very hard times, and a man ought to be willing to sacrifice for the good of the cause, you know, and we think by economy you could live on twelve hundred dollars, and then we would be out of debt, don't you see? And what a grand and glorious day that will be! Then they got eloquent and pathetic over that grand and glorious day. I sat and listened to all the talk about sacrifice and setting example, and at last I boiled over. It was none of my business, but I couldn't help it. Um, says I, live and learn. Now that's a new idea. We're in debt too, but we never thought of any such plan. I'll go home and tell our folks about it, and see if we can manage in some such way. Let me see, it is done by sacrificing. That is, the minister sacrifices enough salary to pay it all up, and you sacrifice him. That's the way, isn't it? I tell you, I was mad. Mr. Grimes looked pretty bleak over what I said, and says he, A minister certainly ought to be willing to set an example of sacrifice in these hard times. Of course, says I but then I always thought an example was something for folks to follow. 
now unless you have all pitched in and concluded to sacrifice him for your part of the work i don't see how you have helped and even then that doesn't seem exactly following an example it strikes me you are doing the leading off i see through what the example is says i if you talked that stuff to your pastor and he didn't ask you mildly to step out of his house and let him lock the front door why you've got an example of christian forbearance to follow all the days of your life i tell you it is the easiest thing in the world to do other folks sacrificing for em i'd just as soon give mrs merchant's new dress for the church as not but mine is another matter always provided i had a new one to give which i never do have it's a good deal easier for me to talk about giving it on that account when the mrs doctor and the mrs deacon had had their laugh out over this remarkable story the latter said well as you say we'll never descend to any such performance i do hope but i'm sure i don't see what we are to do i do then said miss priscilla sewing away faster than ever and i can show you if you'll set to work and do it you'll have a call from me about this very thing before the week is out i want you both to go home and think of what you have said a hundred times and repeat it in my shop this very morning that you are willing to sacrifice if the debt could only be paid i want you to go down on your knees and ask the lord what that word means and mind i warn you don't let satan get your mind wandering off to the sacrificing of mr merchant or mr ritchie or any other of our rich men that's easy if i've paid the church debt for em once i have a hundred times but you see neither of em being our minister we can't go up to em and demand a sacrifice so we have our planning for nothing what i've made up my mind to do is just to tend to my own self get up my own sacrifices or ask the lord to get em up for me make em so plain that if i shut my eyes i'll stumble over em now that's what i want you to do and then when your mind is made up all i ask of you is to put it on paper for me and let me carry it around in my pocket a while as an evidence of what the lord has showed to you i see what i can do anyhow i see one place plain enough my time is my bread and butter and my bread and butter are all i've got in this world if i give them it stands to reason that i can't do much more i've made up my mind to give them not but what i shall contrive to throw an odd dime or two into the bargain now and then end of section one